Hello. Thanks for joining Your Body Advocate podcast. I'm Ruth Cummings, your host, and today I am interviewing Dr. Carl Robinson. He's a homeopathic physician who was my doctor as I was growing up. And this is part of a series from episode seven, where I talk about creating your most effective team of health professionals. Please enjoy this really, really fun interview with Dr. Robinson. And let's take a deep breath to relax. Ready? All right, here we go. You're listening to Your Body Advocate, telling your body's side of the story. The podcast dedicated to supporting and improving your body-mind connection so you can live a pain-free, passion-filled life, dissolving one body tension at a time. Discover the healing properties of your own body language, and together, let's explore ways to support and improve essential self-talk. Now, here's your host, Master of Encouragement and Body-Mind Life Coach, Ruth Cummings. Hello, thanks for joining Your Body Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Cummings. Today is July 4th, 2002. I just wanted to mention that because I went to Dr. Carl Robinson's home today to interview him, and it was really fascinating. And I can't wait to do another interview. He just recently got over COVID, and he was very, very ill. So I'm really happy that he made it through that, and I hope that you enjoy this interview. I'm actually recording this while there are some fireworks going off outside, so that's kind of fun. I wanted to give you some background on my guest today. Carl Robinson holds medical licenses in Texas and New Mexico. He received his BA from Yale University and his MD from Hahnemann Medical College in Philadelphia. After completing a residency in internal medicine, he studied homeopathy first at the National Center for Homeopathy in the U.S. and later at the Royal Homeopathic Hospital in London. In addition, he has studied extensively over the years with leading homeopaths from Greece, Germany, Belgium, Holland, England, South America, Canada, and India. Dr. Robinson teaches and writes about homeopathy and maintains his medical practice in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He is the former editor of the American Journal of Homeopathy, published by the American Institute of Homeopathy. He is the former president of the Texas Society of Homeopathy. In recent years, he has been teaching homeopathy in Latin America, notably in San Salvador, Guatemala, Cuba, and Honduras. Patients in Albuquerque may consult with Dr. Robinson in person when he is in town or by phone when he is not. In addition to phone consultations, Dr. Robinson also works with other local homeopaths in Albuquerque and can make a referral if a patient needs to be seen in person for homeopathic treatment while he is out of town. Dr. Robinson is taking new patients right now, so when you listen to this and it sounds like it would be helpful, please give him a call. You can also call me and I can get you hooked up with his phone number or email address if you don't have the show notes below. And now, Dr. Robinson. Well, thank you, Ruth, for inviting me to talk about homeopathy. Homeopathy is, we might say, on the tail end of all the alternative medicines. It's the least known, and I'm 
sorry to say, the most scorned. And it's been that way, you know, for 200 years. And most of that has to do with the fact that we're using medicines which have been so diluted that our crit critics say, well, they can't work because there's nothing there. And uh, so we've been dismissed as nothing but quacks now for a good 200 years. However, the medicines do work. And it's important to understand that the human body, as well as all other animals, we're a mix of the material, the biochemical, and the... Uh, let's call it an energy system which per uh, percolates through, permeates through the entire body. Now, Western medicine or conventional medicine, we call it allopathy, um, also is aware of energy, but they don't really think of it in terms of energy. But every cell in the body, depending on... Um, which side of the cellular membrane, there's a charge, a positive charge and a negative charge. So every cell has that. So that's a beginning of electricity in the body. And then of course we have the nervous system, which is a combination of chemicals and electrical impulses, which travel nerves. So this is well known. Also, the heart is regulated through an electrical system. So conventional medicine knows all this, but they don't really emphasize it. Now, when we come over to homeopathy, we're entirely in the energetic realm. So it has to be the energetic realm because our medicines are so diluted that they cannot, when subjected to chemical analysis, nothing literally is there chemically. But since they act, there's got to be something there and it's this subtle energy. These medicines come from the plant kingdom, the mineral kingdom, and the animal kingdom. And they're diluted many, many times. And each time with each dilution, they're shaken rather vigorously. We call that succussion. And with this repetitive dilution and succussion, the medicine which results is, has quite different properties and actions than the original substance. For example, salt, sodium chloride, we call it natrum muriaticum, is in everybody's food and everybody ingests some of it every day of their lives. So it's a common enough uh, substance. But when it's prepared homeopathically, uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of symptoms associated with it. 
Now, what do I mean by associated with it? Well, in order to find out how the homeopathic salt or natromure works, a homeopathic dose of natromuriaticum is given to a group of people who are healthy. And it's repeated once or twice or three times until they begin to show symptoms. And then we stop giving it and just allow the medicine to keep on producing symptoms. And that's where we get our database from. So we have, in the case of natrium salt, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of symptoms, which is hard to believe, but it's true nonetheless. So that's our database. And uh, in the course of approving, we call it approving when a person receives the homeopathic medicine, all the symptoms are written down by the prover, by the person who receives it, and reviewed by the proving master who's in charge of the whole thing. And then they're put into order depending on what part of the body they affect. So in that sense, it's quite systematic. You could even say scientific. So homeopathic medicines then work on some more subtle area of the body which is hard to define. Some call it an energy body. Uh, And some people don't even bother to speculate, but it can have profound effects. So when a person comes in to see the homeopath, uh, they begin to relate their symptoms like they do with a regular doctor. And the homeopath listens, takes notes, and then inquires, please elucidate me more on this symptom that you just mentioned. I'd like to know more about it. And so we go deeper and deeper, finding out how the person's reacting to his or her disease. Now, when the interview is over, we then evaluate the symptoms we have and we look for a homeopathic medicine which corresponds to the symptoms that the patient is complaining about. So we have a little saying, like cures like. So for example, natrimuriaticum salt is known to be very useful in many, many illnesses, but there's often a lot of grief associated with natrimuriaticum. There's been unresolved grief over the loss of a loved one or a broken up romantic relationship. And so Along with that, people who need homeopathic salt, natrimuriaticum, tend to have a craving for salt, which is rather peculiar. Hmm. And 
They tend to have oily skin, especially on the face. They also tend to be highly sensitive to bright, direct sunlight. And they're warm-natured or warm-blooded. Now, if the person were to come in and say, I have these migraine headaches, and I've had them for you know, some years now, my first question would be, when these headaches started, what was going on in your life? And at that point, the patient might choke up, might begin to weep and said, well, my son was killed in Iraq so many years ago, and it was within a month or two after that, that the migraines began. Now, the fact that the woman is still crying, literally, years and years later over the death of her son suggests that it's an unresolved grief. And the fact that the headaches came on shortly after learning of her son's death suggests that the grief is related to the headache. So right from the start here, we are truly holistic insofar as we're paying attention to the mental and emotional symptoms, as well as the physical symptoms, in this case, migraine headaches. Now, so she receives a dose of natrimuriaticum, and when seen next, usually in a month, if the medicine's working, she will say, I've had far fewer headaches. Hmm. And when I have had one, they're less intense and they don't last as long. Hmm. And then I might say, well, how, how are you emotionally? Have you noticed any changes? And she said, well, I, yes, I feel stronger in myself and uh, I'm much more able to talk about and deal with the death of my son. Although I must say, in the first few days after taking the medicine, I cried an awful lot. Now, this is actually typical of a correct homeopathic medicine, that the symptoms can exacerbate or increase in the first 24, 48, 72 hours or so, and then start to resolve. So, we see on two levels, the mental-emotional level and the physical level, that the person is improving and getting well. Did you know that I had a really bad reaction to one of the response, one of the remedies that you gave me? I started throwing dishes and cussing at my parents, and they called you, and you said, "Oh, good," <laughs> and they didn't really yeah. know what to do. But yeah, I, it was the right remedy. So. Yeah, this, this is, we call this a homeopathic aggravation. And uh, it's actually a good sign. As long as the person goes through it and starts to improve, which they usually do. But 
It seems to me that more than ever in this era that we need to appreciate and bridge the gap between allopathy and homeopathy. Yes. The allopaths, the conventional doctors, have many, many useful things, many useful treatments, not just surgery, but but uh, pharmaceuticals, which can be life-saving. There's no question about it. And we, homeopaths, have hundreds and hundreds of medicines which can cure all kinds of chronic ailments, which regular medicine doesn't have a very good track record in. So I propose that we need each other and that we respect each other. Now, um, the way I practice is that I pay more attention to the mental and the emotional symptoms than to the physical symptoms. And I didn't always do this, but that's certainly what I've been doing in the last some months. I've been um, studying the works of some Indian homeopaths in New Delhi who emphasize the mental and emotional symptoms. Hmm. That's what I do with massage. So recently, in the last couple of weeks, uh, for some reason, uh, there's been several COVID cases that I've treated all by phone. Uh, a couple in Guatemala, where my wife is from, and the rest here. And so my wife's mother, who's about 90 years old and has a, a number of chronic ailments, comorbidities, they say, came down with COVID despite having been fully vaccinated plus the booster. And she was hospitalized. So my wife took the case and came up with a medicine called arsenicum album, which is white arsenic. Now, remember, it's diluted to the point where there are no molecules left, so it's quite safe. It's the energetic residue of the original poison. Anyway, I think it was her daughter gave arsenicum album to her mother just two or three doses over a very short period of time, a few minutes. And she improved rapidly and was out of the hospital in two, three days. No kidding. Wow. So that's unusual in COVID. COVID tends to be reluctant to get better quickly. And... Now, we don't treat the disease per se, the name of the disease per se. We treat the way the person is reacting to the illness. So, four, five, ten people with COVID may very well get five, ten different homeopathic medicines depending on how their symptoms manifest. 
So uh, three, four days ago, a young man in his early 20s came down with COVID in uh, Virginia. And he had uh, body aches, fever. Let's see, I've got some notes here on him. Temperature of 101. But he'd taken ibuprofen, so before the ibuprofen, it was 102. He had a headache, he had body aches, he had a sore throat with mucus. The sore throat was worse from swallowing. He had a cough, bringing up phlegm, and of course, great fatigue. So these are very common symptoms of many uh, viral infections, including COVID. But we know he had COVID because he tested positive. So I immediately want to know what his reaction emotionally has been to the COVID. And he said, well, I'm very weak. I feel terrible. I said, well, I understand. That's not really what I mean. I want to know what sort of an emotional reaction you're having to the fact that you've got COVID. And he said, I'm angry. I said, well, why are you angry? I'm angry that I even caught COVID. And he went on, people don't listen. They get it, it being COVID, and then they spread it all over the place. And other people get sick because of their dumb actions. So he's quite angry and he's concerned about other people. He's not just concerned about himself. He doesn't want other people to be uh, catching COVID because people are careless and not taking precautions. So Immediately, I thought that this is a caring person. So he needs a medicine which is going to include that. And the other thing I noticed was I would ask him questions and he was very, very slow to reply. Sometimes taking um, 20, 30 seconds before he would reply. So that suggested that something's going on with the nervous system. He should be, you know, replying. There's nothing wrong with him normally. So he's slow to answer. That's a symptom. Then he said, I want to be left alone. That can be a symptom also. And I said, well, why do you want to be left alone? He said, I don't want to spread COVID. So here we have it again. He wants to spare others from COVID. Then he added, I like to be away from people to avoid becoming sick. Then he told me something. I asked about his thirst and he said, well, I like cold drinks. Well, I said, do you just like cold drinks now or always? Always, he said. So I was beginning to think of a medicine called phosphorus, 
which is found in the heads of a match. And <clears throat> so I looked up in a book called A Materia Medica, which is a description of each homeopathic medicine. And phosphorus is famous for wanting cold drinks, but so are a lot of other medicines. But in the book, The Materia Medica, I read that he desires cold drinks during the chill. Now he was having a chill, but he didn't turn to hot drinks or even room temperature. He kept drinking very cold drinks with ice. That's peculiar. So I used that symptom plus the fact that he was concerned about others and that he answered slowly and he was given phosphorus in a very low potency, three doses over 20 minutes. And uh, that was on July 1st. He talked with his mother the next morning. He hadn't gotten up yet. And she said, well, he has no fever. As of yesterday, the fever went away. Yet, as of yesterday, he had no body weeks. And I said, what about his weakness? He, she said, no longer weak. His energy's about back to normal. Then he came on the phone. He said, I feel a lot better. And I asked him about his anger. He said, it's decreased. I don't feel, feel it so much. And I noticed that when I asked him questions now, he replied in a normal time. Uh, the chill had also gone away. So he was much, much better, about 80% better, and a day later, completely normal. No, I think he had a little sore throat as a residual. And that was three days ago, guys, because today's July, July 1st. July 1st, I started, and he was well. He started to improve the same day, and uh, I spoke with him again yesterday, and um, he was... Um, Uh, virtually well, I think it's a slight sore throat. So I mentioned the first the first case was arsenicum. The second case is uh, phosphorus. Now, there's an interesting case of uh, eczema in a young girl, young woman born in 2008. So she's what, 14, almost 14. And uh, she's had eczema since she was nine months old. Wow, that's early. And shame on me, I've been treating her for years and she's made some improvement and then relapse, some improvement and relapse. So this time I decided to focus exclusively on her reaction to her eczema. In other words, pay no attention whatsoever to the eczema, except to note it down. So 
her there were some quite dark patches of the eczema on her arms uh, she's from the subcontinent so they tend to be a little bit more dark in general when they're well but these were much darker so I said, well, what's your reaction to this eczema? And she said, I hate it. And so tell me more about hating it. What do you, how do you react having these uh, unsightly lesions? And she said, well, I often try to hide it with a mask when I went to school. Of course, everybody was wearing a mask during COVID anyway. And I was glad to wear a mask because they couldn't see the eczema on my face. Um, so I said, tell me more about how you reacted, how you react to this eczema. She said, well, it looked weird and I felt weird. I felt sad. I was sad and angry at the same time. She went on and said she was self-conscious and embarrassed. <clears throat> then she told me something quite interesting, that she had been in an effort to make her skin look better and maybe even go away, she would vigorously wash her arms. She had most of these lesions on her arms, not lower. So she would scrub her arms two or three times a day, pretty hard, and hoping that that would suffice to make the lesions go away. Aww. Now, in the books we have, we have the, we have the symptom washing hands frequently doesn't much matter if it's hands or any part of the body and there's one or two medicines there but i didn't use that i didn't use that symptom i decided that this was a case of superstition she was superstitious she thought that by scrubbing her arms the lesions would go away And this is obviously not true. But the important thing was that she was superstitious. And she believed it. She believed it, yeah. Okay. Interesting. And then she went on and said to her mother, why is my skin different from yours? Meaning her mother's. So the fact that she wants to know why she has the skin problem is in itself a symptom. Most people wouldn't mention it. She said, I want to know why is my skin different from yours? Now there's a symptom in the books which says desires light. Now normally, the way I used to practice, 
I only use that symptom if a person loves sunlight or bright light. But after reading some books by these homeopaths in Delhi, they say anybody who really wants to know the reason, the cause of their illness desires light. Add in EN before. I want to be enlightened about my illness. So in that sense, they have used desire's light as a metaphor for wanting to become enlightened about the cause of the illness. So. Wow, great distinction. Yeah, very interesting. So I used three symptoms. The first one was hiding, hiding herself. She was hiding behind the mask. And of course, she wore long sleeve shirts. She was superstitious and she had a desire for light. This worked out to belladonna. Now, belladonna is a very common medicine that many lay people use. It's famous Hmm. for other symptoms. Let me tell you what it's famous for. It's famous for acute fevers. Fevers accompanied by anything. It could be meningitis, it could be a sore throat, it could be just a fever by itself, could be any viral infection. But belladonna is known for rapid action. It comes on quickly. And with it, the person's face and head become brighter red than usual and kind of flushed with heat. At the same time, the hands and the feet are much cooler than the face. So this is the typical presentation of belladonna in fevers, which many mothers have used for hundreds of years when their children come down with a, a viral fever. So you see how different what I did with this young woman was. Right. Nothing to do with that, only these mental symptoms. So I talked to her a month later and she said very soon after the belladonna, I gave her only three doses, 10 minutes apart. So she said that the rashes on the neck went away and the other lesions on her arms were lighter. So they've gone from a dark color to a lighter color and they're clearing up. Do you add more belladonna after that? No. Good question. When, when the medicine starts to act, it's best not to interfere and repeat. Interesting. So, um, I think that it's what I've heard with people in our society, when they take homeopathy and it helps them, they want to take a bunch more. Yeah. Oh yeah. Everybody does. Yeah. Completely and right. They'll come. They'll. I've seen them empty one of those tubes. And um, yes. yeah. So talk about what, like, no. You well, the you know, the average person hasn't been trained in homeopathy, so they just think, well, I'm going to take it like it's aspirin. I want the fever to go away. I want the sore throat to go away. So they overdo it. Yeah, everybody does that. But when you have the right medicine, you don't need to do that. 
Now, a good analogy is a computer that starts to malfunction. They call it a glitch. So somebody comes along who knows computers and they fiddle with it and fix the glitch. And then instantly the computer works perfectly. Well, in human beings, when people get sick, there's a glitch and the medicine will fix the glitch, like turning a a switch off that was on. But then it takes a while for the body to heal itself. But the medicine acts like a switch, removing the glitch. So basically the medicine, the homeopathic medicine, enables self-healing. The body heals itself. That's why you don't need to keep repeating. So I went on and asked her, asked her more about, I said, how about all this hatred you had for your skin? And she said, I don't hate it anymore. It's gone. Hmm. What about hiding, you know, masks and all that? She said, I'm no longer doing it. Wow. I said, are you still self-conscious about your skin? She said, not so much. So that's huge. Are you embarrassed about having this? Not really. Are you washing your skin a bit less, she said. Any itching? None. So, a couple of things here. I treated her on basically solely on the mental emotional levels. And look what happened. It affected the skin. Now, something very interesting. The lesions higher up on her neck went away first. And then the lesions on the arm started to get better. That's what we like to see in what we call classical homeopathy, which is the kind I practice. People should get better from above below. Hmm. So all skin problems should get better higher up on the body and then go down the body. Sometimes they'll start appearing in new places as it descends, but it ends up finishing on the hands or feet. So that's also in correspondence with what we know about the law. We call it the law of cure. What do you feel that, how has um, the medical arena in America treated you about homeopathy or homeopathy in general? Well, that's been the, um, that's the bugaboo. They, first of all, Conventional doctors, almost without exception, know very little or nothing about homeopathy. So they have a built-in prejudice against it. They may know that it's very, has very, very small, it's a very small dose. 
They also know that you can pick it up in the health food store. So if you can pick it up in the health food store, it can't be very potent, unlike our medicines where you need a prescription. So it's a bit hokey. And uh, then they always say, well, where are your double-blinded studies? Well, actually, we do have some double-blinded studies, and they, they do show that homeopathy functions. There's many of them. But, of course, they haven't read them. Uh, <clears throat> a word about double-blinded studies. In a double-blinded study, you have two groups. One gets the medicine, the other gets a placebo or, or an inert substance. And um, they're administered by a person who doesn't know what he or she's giving. So that's the double blind. The patient doesn't know what he or she's getting. And the person who gives the medicine doesn't know what he or she is giving. That's double blinded. And that's called the gold standard for determining the efficacy of all medicines pharmaceutically. But it's interesting that penicillin discovered in the uh, either the 20s or the 30s by Fleming in the UK when he, he discovered by chance that uh, I forget some substance killed the pneumococcal vac uh, bacteria in a Petri dish and he went on to develop that substance and it turned out to be penicillin. And it was so successful in, in killing the bacteria that it soon was in widespread use. And yet, as far as I know, nobody ever did a double blind study. <laughs> it was so obvious that the medicine worked right. that people were happy to use it. So they call it the gold standard, but I think people kind of hide behind the idea of gold standard. So how do, how do they regard us? They regard us as unscientific. Well, I've already gone over the fact that these medicines are tested on healthy people and the symptoms produced by the medicine are carefully uh, written down and then put in order. So we have a database. We know what the medicines do. Well, for me, I just want to say that I am, I just want to acknowledge you for continuing the fight because I came in in the 80s with you, or maybe 70s, and um, I mean, it worked so beautifully for me, but anybody around me, the doctors would not listen, and and it's just been so frustrating, just in my life, of, of knowing things that work, and um, they're giving us Ritalin instead, or... Um, my daughter had a really bad concussion and we, we were in the hospital and I was doing a core treatment that's uh, taught by Robert Stevens. And when they, they said that she was going to need surgery to take the blood pressure off her brain, but I was doing this, this, uh, this type of treatment that was um, to pull the blood off her brain while we were waiting for the CT scan to be opened. 
when she went to go get her CT scan, um, every, you know, everybody started uh, rushing around and arguing and yelling at each other. And we didn't know what was going on. We thought that there was a, um, a, a bad injury in the ER. So we were just staying out of the way. And what they were upset about is that there was no blood on her brain. And I said, I know what happened. And they completely ignore. And, um, but I have witnessed you fighting this fight. And, um, and I, I just want to commend you. I, I've seen it. And, I'm, and it's, there's a few of us that have listened. And thank God. And, and I think that we can continue to spread the word. And that's why. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, Homeopathy, when correctly prescribed, can be extremely effective in situations where regular medicine can't even touch it. So that example is a very good example of another form of energy healing. Well, is, is, would you be okay if I shared a couple of my stories about you helping me? Yeah, what about the burn? The burn is a good one. So, well, um, let me back up because the first time I saw you, I was, um, the reason I'm a drummer is because I'm, I was so nervous and I was tapping all the time. I couldn't, I couldn't read. I could, I couldn't sit still enough to read. No one could read my writing cause it was so jumpy and I, it was very uncomfortable in my body. I also had sinus problems. Um, and I didn't know, no one knew what to do, do about it. And I had seen, we were in the, my dad was in the military and we were moving around. And by the time I moved here to, when I met you, that was my seventh move and I was under 10 mm. and it was, it was hard on me and my brother. And, um, so you gave me a remedy and it didn't work. And a couple of weeks later we tried another one and it didn't work. And then a couple of weeks later we tried another one. And when I went home, that was a Saturday. It was Saturday morning, I think at nine o'clock. And we got home, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. By noon, I was yelling, throwing dishes. And this is not my temperament. Like, I'm not like that. I was bouncy, but not mean. And I was yelling obscenities. And I, I saw my dad and my mom call you. <laughs> and then I ran away. And actually what I did is I ran and I got into a car that was outside of my house and I fell asleep. So that was around 11, maybe 12. And I woke up at eight o'clock that night and I casually walked back into the house and my parents are, you know, they, they are um, just, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, and I just walked past them and I got in bed and I went to sleep. And the next morning I woke up and I made pancakes and I made fresh orange juice and I was a different person. By the time I went to school on Monday, um, the teachers called my parents at lunchtime and said, what did you do? Clearly she's on Ritalin. And they said, no, no, no. We saw Carl Robinson. He's a homeopathic physician. And, <clears throat> and I was calm. I could, uh, I was paying attention. I was really excited to learn. Um, you could read my writing. It was very calm after that. And, um, my life changed after that. So that was close to the summer. And I remember that I jumped into a pool and I almost drowned because I had never had to stop water coming into my nose because my nose was so 
uh, clogged. So when I dove into this pool, water just shot up my nose and I had never had that experience to have to stop it physically. So it had, it had fixed this and my temperament and my focus and oh, the uh, sinus mm-hmm. blockage got better. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's one of the things that happened for me. And then from there, my eyes were open to that. So the, the day that I was making, I think I was 12 years old and it said I was making jello. My mom was busy. She was in the kitchen with me, but she was doing something. And so on the, on the directions it said for the jello, you need to add two and a half cups of boiling water. <laughs> so instead of taking two and a half cups and boiling it, I boiled a bunch of water and then poured the, the big pot of water towards me into a two and a half cup glass um, cup of measuring cup. And the measuring cup fell and I slipped and all that boiling water hit my skin. I was wearing a half shirt. And when I looked down, my skin was boiling. It was so painful. I started screaming. Uh, My mom, I mean, we all panicked. And then she threw me in the car and drove to your office and you happened to be there. And um, you quickly, uh, I was really, I was screaming. So it was, um, it was hard. So you gave me a remedy and you waited and it didn't work. And then you gave me another remedy and I was across the hallway sitting in the chair of Larry's office, Larry, Dr. Merrick. And then I remember you gave me the third remedy and I remember you walked out the door because I was screaming so loud that if this didn't work, we were headed to the ER. And, um, and I looked down and you, I could see it literally this red, um, blisters just went away to say a pizza size down to a, I don't know, a a size of a grapefruit down the size of an orange down to the size of a cookie down to the size of a quarter and then a dime and then no red at all. No blisters, no nothing. And I was laughing. I was like, look, it went away. And we, you had, you had left because it was, um, it was hard because I was screaming and then you came walking down and, um, your uh, secretary was like, come here, come here. And, and you said, oh, did they go to the hospital? <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten and, um, that part. She said, no, no, it's, it, it worked. And then you came in. And so those are two of many. Um, you also helped my grandfather, Alex Zimmerman, with his polio. Do you remember that a long time ago? And he, had, um, he, was, a, he was teaching music at the University of New Mexico. So he had a, a bad limp and some other things going on with his body. And that's why we knew you were here. And um, so Marion, my grandmother, and then uh, Alex, my Zimmerman, he came to see you. And that really helped him too. But there's, I have a lot of stories. Those are my two favorites. And um, you're definitely one of my heroes in my life. Well, thank you. I think you should rephrase that and say homeopathy is one of my heroes. At any rate, uh, it's a marvelous science. And I, I think I feel entitled to use the word science because it's, it's very precise, really. And, uh, what makes you sad about it? I'm not sad about it. I'm sort of reconciled to the fact that, uh, 
people are the way they are. And, uh, you know, we tend to be easily conditioned. I think we come into the world, tabula rasa, blank slate. And then we start receiving all these impressions. And then we go to school, we go to church, synagogue, temple, wherever we go. And we end up being quite conditioned. And so people in this country and probably throughout the world are conditioned to admire and respect allopathic doctors. Allopathic doctors are conditioned through their training to believe that they have the ultimate answers when it comes to uh, various illnesses and, of course, surgery. With surgery, I would agree, they do have the answers. And they have some of the answers in uh, medical illnesses. But because of the conditioning, most people's minds are not open to something like uh, homeopathy. Uh, we be I began by saying homeopathy is the last, the least known, and the least respected of all the alternative medicines. I don't know if you're aware of this, but acupuncture came in to this country rather dramatically and rather quickly when Nixon made his first trip to, to China. And... The New York, there was a, a famous New York Times reporter who uh, accompanied him. And this New York Times reporter developed acute appendicitis, was operated on. And for the post-op pain, he was given acupuncture needles. And the pain was easily controlled with the acupuncture. And he wrote about it in the New York Times, which was then and still is in part uh, one of the, or if not the leading newspaper in the country. So this was like a bombshell and suddenly there was a lot of interest in acupuncture. And pretty soon People were, you know, studying it here and there and treating all within a few years. This is entirely different from homeopathy, which came in much earlier, around 1840, I believe, and has faced an uphill battle of acceptance ever since. So Acupuncture was readily accepted because of this uh, journalist and his newspaper. Homeopathy's never had that, that distinction. In fact, the New York Times, as far as I know, has never, ever written a story about homeopathy. Shoot, that's too bad. Never. And, or if so, it's been to dismiss it as a, as a sideline. So that's the kind of thing we're up against. Um, now, speaking of conditioning, we've now gone through two years of incredible conditioning 
surrounding this pandemic, this COVID pandemic, where they've managed to, uh, well, let's, let's be, let's be straight. They've managed to scare 85, 90% of the population, not only in this country, but all over the world. And people became, and some still are so frightened that they would literally do anything that came down from the CDC, uh, FDC, uh, or Dr. Fauci. And what came down was social distancing and wearing a mask. And if you got sick, go home. If you get really sick, then come to the hospital and we'll admit you. There was never any treatment that they recommended. So we had this tremendous, tremendous explosion of very sick people and tens of thousands of people dying. Now it turns out that from the beginning, there have been treatments, and I'm talking now not just about homeopathy, but about regular medicine. Ivermectin in the hands of several physicians have prevented 75, 80% of people from even going to the hospital and totally stopped, stopped uh, deaths from COVID. Same with hydroxychloroquine. But Fauci and other people in the uh, Food and Drug Administration said, well, these, these, uh, these two medicines have not been rigorous, rigorously uh, evaluated and we're not going to suggest you, sh you should take them. Well, that was enough. The mainstream media never, and as far as I know, to this very good day, have they mentioned that there's been really good treatments in allopathic medicine for COVID. So the mainstream media got on board. The Food and Drug Administration, the Center, the CDC, and uh, the World Health Organization and as a result, uh, we've seen what happened. They developed a vaccine, a new kind of vaccine, never been seen before, and it was rushed to market within six, nine months. And it should be note, noted that all prior vaccines, all, have taken between five and 15 years right. before they're fully approved. These vaccines were given emergency use or, or authorization almost as soon as they came out. Now, this is a red flag, but very few of us recognize it as a red flag. No long-term studies have been done to date because a long-term study takes several years. And there's some evidence that the studies that have been done were manipulated. So it's not surprising that they've been able to condition, let's say brainwash the vast majority of people, not only in this country, but all over the world to the effect that there are no good treatments for COVID and that the only thing that's really good are these vaccines. So 
That's the state of affairs. And then the people who are vaccinated, not all of them, but get COVID. How how is that possible? So well, like, well I, I know why it's, I'm I'm being facetious, but like the um, yeah, like why even take it if you're going to get it anyway? And then well, no, they they to to to, to be fair, they said it wouldn't stop people from getting COVID, but it would reduce their symptoms to the point where they would recover quickly and wouldn't have to go to the hospital. So it was, they never said it would stop transmission, supposed to, and all the other vaccines. But many people who've been vaccinated have come down with very severe cases of of, uh, COVID. In fact, currently, there are more hospitalizations and death among people who've been vaccinated than people who have not been vaccinated. <clears throat> this first came to light in New Mexico in May when the lead article in the Albuquerque Journal stated that in April, now it's, this was written in May, that the people who've been vaccinated were coming down with covid more than the unvaccinated. And uh, the reporter went and interviewed one of the state epidemiologists because this epidemiologist said, well, we're not going to report this monthly report on uh, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. The reporter said, well, why not? And they said, well, we don't want to confuse people. That was what she said in the article. Now they've they've gone back on that in the last two or three weeks. They've agreed to start reporting it again. But this kind of thing has been going on all the time where positive treatments, useful, efficacious treatments have been not exactly suppressed. They've been ignored. Well, you could say suppressed. So that's the situation. So we have hundreds of thousands of deaths worldwide and millions and millions of uh, people who are very ill. Homeopaths all over the world have been treating COVID since the onset with very good results. So, but again, nobody's picking it up on homeopathy. Right, I've never heard about it. Of course, that's suppressed also. Yeah. But it's suppressed with everything, like with... uh many things that I've seen you guys, I've seen you help in, in my own life, but it's never talked about. And it's so sad that, um, I just wish our medical community could be honest with each other and be a team instead of, um, uh, suppressing or, or just ignoring things that actually work yeah. that I don't know if it's because it only costs a fraction of what, um, other medicines cost? I don't know. But well, it's, you know... I can't imagine, like, because you have fought, and then I... But, and I can, I can you know, sense this anger or, like, a sadness maybe from you about that. And that it... And I'm... I'm, I'm when I hear my, my girlfriends, other moms in the world who have their children going through some issues, and they only see one road and like if it's a if it's that the eczema 
Okay, try this cream. Okay, now try a steroid. Now try... And right then, as soon as steroid, when I hear that word, I'm like, wow, there's so many other options that could... Um, why can't we work together? And But, yeah. but I... Um, I'm sorry, so I, I interrupted you, but you were... No, I... Uh... And COVID is... COVID's been terrible. What... You know, the people who have all the power over the media and and the information that gets out, whenever they they hear any criticism, they call people like me conspiracy theorists. But from my point of view, they're the ones that are conspiring to not provide reasonable reasonable costing medicines for COVID and uh, covering it up, covering up the fact that there are reasonable things. So that to me is a conspiracy, but they're calling us the conspiracy. So we're, we're, there's a kind of war going on, but we're in such a minority that nobody pays attention. You have to go to certain websites to even find out anything about it. Right. No, I agree. And it's very frustrating that the this information, some people have never even heard the word homeopathy or right. heard the word Ayurveda or ac- acupuncture, I agree with you, is more, I don't know if it was, it just seems more sexy to people or why, or maybe it wasn't as close to mainstream media, mainstream medicine, excuse me, that um, I'm sure, I don't know why it wasn't as threatening as homeopathy, but, um, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, do you want to take a break? Do you want to keep going? Let's take a break. Okay. Get some water. I don't know that there's anything much else to say, uh, unless you want me to go over other cases or something like that. I do like the cases. The cases are always good. Um, yeah, we kind of got detoured into the pandemic thing. What do you think that what would be um, for someone who is just hearing this for the first time and they're like, wow, didn't even know that existed or. We still. Are being yeah, there. I can edit it. Yeah. Do you want to get some water? You good? Like for. I'm always shocked that people haven't heard of homeopathy or don't know that that's an option. But it is, it is so, and um, like, what's the? What would you tell them how to how to get started, or um, yeah, like how to get started? Just to call you, or call another homeopath in their city, or how do they? What would you suggest? Well, the first thing is to know that homeopathy exists and frankly homeopathy has been preserved by lay people more than probably than by doctors in this country uh, mostly moms who've uh, learned enough to take care of many acute problems at home and a lot of a lot of women mothers especially get very interested in homeopathy and some of them go on and take correspondence courses and of which there's a number. And um, 
some of them will go on and start setting up a practice. The problem, the great problem for people, lay people is that it's hard to attract patients because they don't have an, they don't have a degree in medicine or anything else. And, uh, they have to be careful about what they say and if they make any claims. So it's tough for them, but that's the way to learn is through these, uh, correspondence courses or, um, yeah, these correspondence courses. And then of course there's books people can read, but it's, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, very difficult to 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 sort of uh, crack the nut of homeopathy James Tyler Kent who was the most famous homeopath into the 19th century early 20th century he used to say speaking of medical doctors he said it takes a good 10 years before you're any good at homeopathy and that's when you're seeing a lot of patients every day so We have the advantage being doctors that people come to us. So we're able to see a lot of people. Whereas lay people aren't that fortunate. Plus they're probably not very good at marketing. So either way. Yeah, they're not good at marketing. But the main thing is it's hard for them to get experience because without, without experiences, without being you know, taught and, or sitting in with a good homeopath, it's very hard to learn. What do you think that homeopathy needs? If a magic wand came down and said, all right, um, I'm going to do this to make homeopathy mainstream. Maybe it won't happen in our lifetime, but if, what do you think that would make that possible? Well, you see, mainstream medicine allopathy they say they just want to see double-blinded studies well we have some but nobody's paying much attention we don't have enough so if there was a lot of money we could do more trials and but it's not going to give it convince people even if they show efficacy it's not going to convince people <clears throat> because their minds are already made up you know there's that expression don't confuse me with the facts. My mind's already made up. Right. <clears throat> well, well there, there were double studies on double blind studies on acupuncture as that came in with Nixon. So I wonder, I wonder if it would take like helping a famous, you know, New York Times writer or you know, uh, a president of our of our country or a you know, at some year where we could, you know, grab someone that's going to have a fanfare yeah I, I that would help but i mean <clears throat> the royal family in england has been using homeopathy for decades decades and the queen herself has has her allopathic physician and she has the homeopathic physician and she calls one or the other when she needs one or the other but even so hmm. um Homeopathy in England, though it's far more prevalent than it is here, is still not mainstream. So there's a person who 
commands enormous respect. She's the queen, but it hasn't made much difference. I had an idea, which was if there was suddenly a billion dollars available, <laughs> I would like to uh, put a bunch, put up a bunch of billboards on highly traveled interstates and other places saying something like give homeopathy a chance or you know yeah tired of home tired of not getting well try homeopathy you know to get the word out there get it up but i almost have the not that anybody has that kind of money because those billboards are costly but i almost have the impression that the owners of the billboards when they say we don't want to put up that message <laughs> you know we're not going to let you rent it <clears throat> right yeah it does seem like a conspiracy against it almost i totally agree where there's it's it is a, a so what happens what happens too- now is that with with a younger generation of medical doctors they're a bit more open yes but it's open to the extent like Arnica. The patient goes in for their uh, their um, appointment with the doctor, the regular doctor, and the patient's better. And the doctor says, you're better. And the patient says, well, yes, I've been doing homeopathy with so-and-so. And now they'll say, well, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. No interest in learning about it, but at least they're willing to say, Keep doing it. That's a big change. Before <laughs> well, it was, oh, that's rubbish. Something I did must have uh, done it. Stop doing the homeopathy. That is true that they're saying, yeah, but they don't want to know, or they won't give it to the next patient, you know, or say, but maybe they will start saying, hey, um, you know, I heard that this helped someone's depression. And since we're the leading use of depression meds in the world, but we only have, uh, you know, 3% of the people, Maybe you should try homeopathy instead, or painkillers, or diabetic meds, or heart medications. Yeah. Everything that we lead, uh, it would be great if we would give uh, homeopathy a chance. Is that what you would say? Absolutely, just say give homeopathy a chance. No phone number, no nothing. No, you better put a phone number in there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what's been your favorite case ever? Uh, about. Five, seven years ago, a woman in Dallas showed up with with ascites. You know, ascites, you probably know what it is. It's an accumulation of fluid in the abdominal cavity. And uh, it's due to a malfunctioning liver. It's an extreme thing and you die from it. What they do is that they stick a trocar in, which is a kind of drain, razor sharp. Ooh. Uh, pipe. It's like a small pipe. So they puncture the uh, abdominal wall and drain the drain the fluid out. And uh, then the patient will, with almost without without exception, they'll reaccumulate the fluid within three to nine days. And so then they can do it again. So there's basically no cure for it. And it's lethal. So I had a, I had a patient uh, with that 
And she was like hugely bloated and weighed much more than she should have weighed. And I gave her a homeopathic medicine. It was a, a, a medicine made of homeopath, homeopathic mercury. And I, I repeated it frequently. And she started to lose weight. She started to lose this highly distended uh, abdomen. And fortunately, I have, have pictures of her. And after uh, two or three months of constantly repeating the medicine, her her abdomen, which was like this, like a mountain, convex, shrunk to convex, uh, concave. Wow. It actually was depressed. And I have a photo of that. And uh, so she had a... And that, that particular problem has never recurred. She has other problems which were never resolved with homeopathy, but that one saved her life. That's awesome. That's pretty amazing, yeah. That is amazing. And then I had a I had a student in Guatemala and she had a patient, uh, she spent time in Mexico. She treated a a man with severe uh, coronary arteriosclerosis. Bad, bad heart disease with um, a medicine known as Critigus, which is also available in herbal form. And she gave this guy, I think it was Critigus 30C, twice a day. And after uh, <clears throat> three, four, five, six months, he went back to his cardiologist and the cardiologist declared him well and his heart was normal. Now, I've never been able to, never, never had the chance to do that, but that's pretty amazing. That's very amazing. Yeah. Yes. So there, and, but the place to see a lot of miraculous cures is India, where there's millions of people uh, receiving treatment and there's probably several million people treating, using homeopathy. And then after that, there's a, a Holland and Germany and throughout Europe, there's some very, very good homeopaths. So it's it's more than just treating uh, migraines. You know, we actually, it's possible to treat pretty heavy-duty uh, pathology. How about, um, how about depression? I mean, it's rampant. I work with, I work with a lot of families where there's a, a teen, a teenager who is, uh, is in a dark place. And um, maybe even tried to uh, end their life and they don't see any hope and then there's this um, these medications where you for you know depression medications that help for a little while but even on the bottle it says that it can create feelings of suicidal thoughts some of them yeah some of them and I'm just wondering um, is homeopathy a good do you say have you had much um, success with helping especially uh, young people, but anybody yeah. not have to take those meds? Yeah, we treat a lot of a lot of people who are depressed. A lot of people. And, you know, with the right medicine, it depends. You have to get the right medicine. And if you don't, people say, well, I tried homeopathy, it didn't work. So you've got to find the right medicine. And then and virtually any illness can get better including depression. Now, I would say, though, that there's some... When people are psychotic, it gets 
exponentially more difficult, if not almost impossible. Some of these schizophrenics, it's very, very difficult. And uh, autism is even more difficult. Hmm. And uh, I must confess that I've had rather poor, poor results treating autism over the years. Some people have done it and, and helped them to achieve a much higher level of functioning. But in my hands, I haven't, I've been very pleased. So there are certain illnesses which are very difficult. Uh, chronic kidney failure would be very difficult. Uh, cirrhosis of the liver, very difficult. You know, when you get into ends, we call it end stage pathology, meaning it's the pathology that develops just before you die. That's pretty hard to, to re reverse that. But it's been done and uh, Again, it depends on how skillful the practitioner is in finding the correct medicine. So how does someone find a skilled practitioner? Well, the National Center for Homeopathy in, uh, I think they're in Fairfax, Virginia, they keep, they keep a, a list of homeopaths, both lay and uh, medical doctors. The American Institute of Homeopathy, which is, I belong to, which our membership is medical doctors, osteopaths, chiropractors. Uh, we have a list of practitioners. And they tend to be pretty, often fairly good. Have you run into um, some favorites that you've met through the years in America? And I know... Favorite what? Uh, homeopaths. Like instead of, I know you know some like in Guatemala and, and India and places, but in America where someone could communicate with them, there, are there some well, favorites you have? Yeah, there's many, but those two organizations is where you'd find them. Okay. Not with you, but with, okay. Yeah. Um, great. Anything else? Well, I have a lot of other questions, but this is long what, enough. What sort of other questions? Oh, I want to, all right. Um, I want to know more about, you know, um, I guess you, I want to know more about your fight about this and how you have, I mean, you're still, you're still at it and you, my fight. Yeah. I'm not fighting. I'm, I'm, no, I, 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 that's a rough word, but I mean, there have been a lot of closed doors and not enough support in the medical community about helping people. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in a stage or a state of sort of indifference. If people want to come, that's fine. If they don't want to come, that's fine. I'm not interested particularly in uh, proselytizing like I might want once have. In fact, this is the first interview I've had in 10, 15 years. I used to give talks, you know, in libraries and places people would arrange for people to come. But I haven't done that in years. What would you suggest to a homeopath right now, early 30s, really raring to go and wanting to make a splash and really help people. Is there anything that you've learned in your, um, I don't want to say fight if that's an aggressive word, but, uh, 
you know, you stayed, you know, you didn't quit. And I know that you're speaking of me calling you a hero. You're downplaying that and that's fine. But I think that it took a lot and I'm just really proud of you. I'm just proud to know you. Forget it. Forget it. <laughs> I do it because it interests me. That's why it's fascinating. Uh, another case, my wife is down with her grandchildren in Guatemala at the moment. And one child, a grandson, has had a persistent cough for uh, two or three weeks. And uh, now coughs are also pretty difficult because there's 50, 60, 70 medicines which cover coughs. So it's kind of tricky to figure out which one because, you know, they... You know, you have dry coughs and you have productive coughs. And then there's there's other distinctions, but it's hard. At any rate, she was saying that uh, this little boy would do this repeatedly. He would suck up the snuff, snuffles and put his head back. Because I asked her, I said, are there any gestures? Well, that was that's what she she herself imitated it. So I thought, well, that's, I've never really heard that or seen that before. So I looked it up in, in the repertory. Repertory is a concordance of symptoms. Under uh, head motions, throwing the head backwards, accompanied by cough. And there was one medicine, only one medicine out of, several thousand. It's called Sambucus. So I said, and it, it also was known to have coughs because I looked it up. So I said, give the child Sambucus. And um, before the day was out, the cough was much better. And as of yesterday, the day before, 80, 90% gone. Based on the gesture. Right. Now, What's the big difference then? But between... let me let me add this. I've never I didn't know that. I didn't know that Sambucus had that particular head motion. I was persistent enough to look it up and find I thought maybe I'll find something. And sure enough I did, and then it worked. So you can't downplay a gesture. Hey, well, I want to thank you, um, Dr. Robinson, for being here, Carl. And do I have your permission to come back and do this again sometime? Sure. Like to talk about things we think about? Sure. The, the way we can help our world with homeopathy? I would love your input. I appreciate your time here at your house on the 4th of July in 2022. Well, you're most welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me today for this interview with Dr. Carl Robinson. What a treat that was. He's so amazing. He's a brilliant man. I left the in the in the show notes how to get a hold of Dr. Robinson. You could call him for a consultation either Zoom or on the phone. And if you're in Albuquerque or come to Albuquerque, you could see him here. So he'll see you in person. He's fascinating and he's exceptional at what he does. So if you have something that you need some help with, please call him and he will help you out. 
Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Your Body Advocate with Ruth Cummings. We're so glad you've joined us today and truly believe you can live a pain-free, passion-filled life. To connect with Ruth, work with Ruth, or to grab your free ebook, go to ruthcummings.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. Until next time, friends, be open, include the unincluded, think outside the box, and spread love and kindness one smile at a time. Well, I'm about to send you my daughter because she has a a throat she can't swallow. She's had surgery for it, and it's oh. been a it's been a rough road for years. And I uh, did I treat her years ago? You did, and I believe that it's emotional. And um, she's had not, surgery. Yeah. Oh god. Uh, she couldn't swallow. We had to do something, but it was not the right answer. And um, but. When you're, when you're just saying at the beginning that you have changed the way that now you're looking at symptoms of emotion and how people are responding to their to their symptoms, I think that's fascinating because I also use that in massage because when I can't get a muscle to calm down, then I will ask them about that area and um, ideas or feelings they have about something in their life. And if their muscle gets really tight when we're talking about it, then I'm able to um, calm it down with that conversation. And it's different than I could pound it all day long. I could, you know, you can stretch it, you can do whatever you want, but then if you can hold it while they're communicating, if they can match their thought with that um, tendency or pattern of holding it, contracting the area, um, then it will... I can get the entire body to calm down. And I bet there's a lot of that. And see, I learned a lot from you and from uh, from Dr. Merrick and from Linda Beebe. And, um, and I know that it had to have uh, affected my, or just, you know, um, um, given me a path when I was learning a long time ago. I mean, I started right away after I graduated from uh, the University of New Mexico. But... I just think that's interesting. What was your major? Psychology. I have almost three. I have psychology, uh, English, creative writing, and and then I almost was a performing arts major. Oh. In percussion, but I I only had three hours to go in music um, theory, and I hated that class. So I just I said, why do I need a third degree? But yeah, psychology was my main. But English too. I do a lot of writing. But. Cool. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna close. So. so oh, this is for children who hide behind the chair, hide behind their mother's skirts, and that was it. 
So then I start reading these guys' books yeah. from New Delhi, and they're saying, well, you know, oh, they're saying more people people hide in all kinds of ways. They don't, they're not straightforward. They're not forthcoming with their symptoms. Yep. I uh, had a woman several months ago with a, a Bell's palsy, paralysis of one side of her face. And uh, so it's distorted, right? You, you know, how you've seen it, right? Right. So I did this by phone. She was saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about to start looking for a job, but I'm, I'm hesitant to go in. I don't want people to see me this way. That's hiding. Right. You see? Yes. Interesting. Or I think uh, I may have had a Zoom with her. She would go like this with her hands to cover the, the par paralyzed side, you see? It's hiding. Interesting. But all we knew was, oh, it's the kid who hides behind his mother's skirts. I mean, pathetic Con compared to what's possible when you expand it into a, more of a metaphor. For sure. I mean... So it turns out, this is unbelievable. I'm glad we didn't even mention it. The, the the guy's father, he's now dead, figured out this system. And he wrote back in the 70s and 80s, he said, 40% of all cases need belladonna. He said, globally. So I wrote his son who'd been treating me and I said, your father wrote this. Do you agree with it? And he said, yes. Now, if you can get 40%, any homeopath can get 40% improvement or cure is doing really good. I'm talking about even the great ones. And here they're saying that 40% of all cases need Belladonna. And since I've been doing this, I'm prescribing Belladonna just about a lot of times. Now, do you think and that it is was a culture only, but because the, we're hiding? What, hiding is the main thing with them, according to them. But what's so curious is that all of us have been true. Oh, Belladonna's fine. It's for acute illnesses, acute fevers and stuff like that. Because I think uh, us as a culture, we do hide. We do hide. We can't say the truth. And you oh well, that's 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 something else. That's I mean, true. That's true. People are. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, this um, this belladonna is it's incredible, and it, it's really incredible based on the way we're all taught. Oh, it's an acute remedy. It's not used for anything chronic. Well, maybe sometimes we've used it for chronic, but 1% of the time. So it's a big change. Their name is Segal, S-E-H-G-A-L. Segal, okay. And uh, so it's like learning the whole thing all over again because they have rubric, you know what a rubric is. It's right. the symptom in the repertory. They... They have book after book in which they explain their take on a given rubric. And it's often very di different from the way we used it. And here it is. It's a second language for them because their language is Hindi. And uh, huh. that's very interesting. It's amazing. Yeah. See, that's what I think is that we have, we, if we could be partners as, a, as all these cultures and all these medicines and say, you know, this could help. Oh, this helped one time. And if we could actually communicate like a team, instead of everybody 
staying separate, especially Western medicine, who they're so, um, you know, high and mighty and won't listen. But some of them do. Some of them do. But yeah. then they keep it to themselves. Yeah. I don't know. I'm. I'm a. I guess I'm a conspiracy theorist myself. <laughs> well, I've become one. Frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. I mean, I didn't even get into it. I think the whole thing is a big setup. I mean, I think there's nothing but money behind the whole thing. Money and power. Yep. And well, they, it's frightening. I don't think that they, What's next, you know, is going to be a monkeypox vaccine. It's coming. Probably... Came in, you had a bad burn. That's right. You remember that one? I do remember that one. It was on my and, stomach. And the um, the medicine took the pain away within minutes. Remember that? I remember that. So, I think it was causticum. You remember? Um, or causticum, causticum. I think it was because I, you gave me one remedy and I was screaming, and then you gave me another remedy, and then you gave me a third remedy and you left the building. The building? <laughs> yeah. Or the room? The, you left. You went for a walk around the block. Oh, come on. You did. <laughs> and it yeah. went away. And we couldn't... We were looking for you to tell you. Like, hey, it's it's gone. And... Uh, well, we, I remember that. I remember you saying it was much better. Yeah, we could see the, the redness go like that, like that, like that. I mean, it was blistered. It was badly... Well, why don't you say that? I'll ask you to t tell about that. Okay. We can talk about that. It was from a hot water... It was from hot water. I was making jello. And it was uh, blistering up or what was it? So yes, I was I was making jello and it said you need two and a half cups of boiling water. So I boiled a bunch of water and then I poured it like this into a two and a half cup holder <laughs> and it tipped over on me. So I was wearing a half shirt and it I could see my skin boiling underneath. I think I was 12 at that time. We were, um, I had been seeing you for a while. So that's, yeah. that's after the, I think it was zinc that you gave me that helped my, whatever you want to call it. ADHD is probably the name they give it these days. But, um, yeah, I mean that you have really changed my life. That's why I'm here. Stop it. <laughs> Save your praise for your husband. <laughs> he needs it too, but. I'm, I'm, I won't stop praising you. I've seen you do some amazing things. And, um, so take the praise. Actually, you can do whatever you want with the praise, but I'm still going to give it to you. <laughs> How's that? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so who, 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 what sort of audience is there? Um, Are they young, old, middle-aged? I would say between 45 and 65, mostly moms, um, aware of natural healing, but not really. So they have heard the name homeopathy, but haven't really used it. They maybe used Arnica or um, something they found at Whole Foods, but really haven't gone in depth. How do they know, know that your podcast exists? Um, I... They're usually my clients. Oh. My client list is who I send out the podcast to, but also it's on, um, I'm 
I have different clients. I have coaching clients and I have massage clients. So the, um, they're different. I would say that my massage clients are more educated about natural healing, not just because of me, but just because of their, their journeys. Mm -hmm. And then coaching people are very, are, uh, sometimes stuck in different ways. And so I'm trying to help people create a healing team, like to know that they can come see you, someone like you. And again, I've, I've talked to Larry, we're going to do another uh, podcast that's not um, channeled. And then like chiropractic, Ayurveda, acupuncture, herbs, just um, mm-hmm. there's so many options, right? <clears throat> right. So, I mean, you have so much to share and I, whatever you have to offer about homeopathy, I will take. Okay. And we are a go, so we're recording anytime. Okay. Um, 